Not Quite Right for Us by Speaking Volumes is a podcast series showcasing innovative and diverse writers from underrepresented communities reflecting on experiences of outsiderness and their defiance against it. Not Quite Right for Us is based on an anthology of the same name, which is published by Speaking Volumes and Flipped High Publishing. In this episode, we'll hear I Am No Less by Michelle Carhill, Prologue from Abolition by Gabriel Gadamosi, and We Wait by Rafif Ziada. Our guide is author and actor Pauline Melville. Well, I have to explain first that my background is my father was mixed race, Amerindian, African Guyanese, Portuguese, Scottish, a big mixture. And my family over there obviously looks very different from my mum's family, which was an English family over here. I have dual nationality. I'm Guyanese and I'm British. I am a woman of colour who looks white. So I'm haunted by a past that is not visible in me. I started work in the theatre and in film, television, but then I switched to writing because as an actor, I was never going to get parts of an African Guyanese, for instance, because I don't look like that. But I do have that experience to be able to write about that. And I've really been writing ever since. Acting and writing both involve being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, being able to imagine what it's like to be somebody else. And actually not always a person. Look at Kafka, Metamorphosis. He has to imagine what it's like to be an insect. I really think the power of the imagination is huge. Once you start reducing a writer basically to their autobiography, you start to limit literature. This episode of Not Quite Right for Us is about travel. Speaking volumes digs up and unearths voices that have been buried. Words do influence. Words have influence, not just fiction, but non-fiction. Laws are written down in words that can control us. I Am No Less by Michelle Cahill. I am no acronym, nor a hyphen, but Indian in blood, colour, English in taste, tongue, Portuguese in spirit, my Christianity disinherited, freed by Dharma, an equal citizen, my skin measured by white space. I am not a subject to be read, bewildering, ironic, as the double tropes of conversion, patronised no longer, my mind captive to identity, to borders, dreaming this contrapuntal life revived in words. 
more of a pantomime girl <clears throat> standing with the damp pigeons by the ashen river blowing incandescent bubbles through metal loops of varied shapes and size as the crowd veers past her, trying to hold just one. Small things are grieve if one is stateless or weaponized by the state that cares only if we are alive or dead. First memories are cherished. I remember the pavilion, the merry-go-round, daffodils blooming, everything fizzing. I would rather parachute from the skies, speak a green rustle in dappled light, flare like autumn leaves, be a child running circles around a fountain as laughter echoes in a square canopied by elders, giant trees. But a white boy teased me, someone else spat, so that right here in this juvenile courtroom, forever locked, my colonial subject was stamped, doubly betrayed, another lie leaking from the torn hymen of history. Because who on earth is brave enough to admit being half-caste is being someone else's armour? They will mock and beam in approval over and over, so the true occasion for sanctuary is never born. We are not that different despite skin colour or rank. Who can take from us what we cherish most unmistakable as the dark, ragged ink of the clouds or the scent of fresh air after rain? Years melt, the words vanishing in smog like Waterloo's taxis. I cannot say precisely why it feels quite so. Maybe the certainty of this diasporic unmaking, knowing the voice I have cherished belongs. The city slinks, snow is mute, numb as my teeth. Snow is the dirty white music of suffering. Only to linger, to watch the muddy swans shuffle from a polluted lake, joggers walk running while lovers neck and dogs defecate, to watch a row of brick houses with twin chimneys reflect in the pond at twilight. There is a rickshaw parked outside Birkbeck, a bicycle chained to the paling, the tube is billowing with an ache as commuters return to the brown-coloured suburbs, as a woman in a sari ambles along the sinking jetty. Trust me. I have a sort of inkling that sometimes we do write to put a story one way in order to cover up something else that we're, but we prefer to keep quiet about. You know, writing is quite mysterious, the process. If you were digging in the earth and you had a trowel, you'd make a hole and you'd throw the earth away and that earth would cover up something else. And I think probably writing is similar. Ted Hughes, the poet said, and I don't quite know what he meant. I'm going to paraphrase. He said something like, writers write in order to conceal things, in order to keep things hidden. So there's 
you know, ambiguity about writing, whether people write to reveal something or actually to hide something. There are many different stories and they're told from many different perspectives and it's which ones you choose to hear that are important and which ones you choose to avoid. We tend to choose to listen to the stories that back up our own prejudices. It's quite important to read stories that challenge your ideas. But how do you get hold of these things? Where are they? Where are these stories? Speaking volumes does give a voice to silenced writers. Excerpt, prologue from Abolition by Gabriel Gadamosi. The Dead List. Cabin of the Blackamoor Jenny. Tom writes in the ship's book. The surgeon dictates, cleaning and gathering his bloody tools into a bag. Nicholas, before the mast, with an intermittent fever. Mr. Young, apprentice sailmaker, with a bilious fever. The armourer died. The cook died. The carpenter, with a headache but refused medicine, died. Jack Reynolds died. Jack Strawn with a diarrhoea. Harry with the bloody flux. The boy, Peter, died. The surgeon stops, gazing in air as if trying to remember someone. Tom waits a moment. Should we not record the cause of death in all cases? By all means, Purser. Your guess is as good as mine. Does that complete the dead list? The surgeon gestures for him to continue writing. To date, 5th of March, 1792. Arrived at our moorings at the mouth of the Niger with 47 crew. In three weeks of our stay on the coast, 11 sewn in their hammocks and committed. And a further seven took ill with exhaustion and fever. The rump of our crewmen stalked by the Yellow Jack, a murderous fellow, somewhat shadowy in appearance. His attack made even more terrible by the ivory yellowness of his skin and teeth and the suddenness of death on his approach. Officers of the afterguard being, of course, exempt. Tom has stopped writing. He crosses out and turns the book toward the surgeon. Sign here. Mr. Jones, surgeon. What's this? The captain enters. Drawing up the dead list, sir. Waste work. The cargo's not complete. I want my men up and doing. The dead? Sarcasm, surgeon. Your knife were better honed in finding cures. The best cures to be away on open sea. The crew need air and food and rest to be better provisioned and out of the way of the coast. This is hopeless. No work, no food. We go nowhere without a full haul. You can't starve sick men. <laughs> you argue with me? Without a crew, Captain, we're stuck. <clears throat> the captain strikes down the surgeon. 
wounding him in the head. Tom, in shock, instinctively bends to him. Leave him! Die and be damned! Tom hesitates, then disobeys. He helps the surgeon back onto a chair. The surgeon takes a swab from his bag and holds it to the wound. He looks at the captain. Not dead, Captain Knox, sir. You may chance to need me yet. Sometimes I write about injustice and I want to show that. Sometimes it's because I've seen an image or an image has occurred to me and I want to explore that. And sometimes I want to sort of discuss themes. I never want to preach. I'm very aware that that Amerindian experience could be being destroyed. And I wanted to explore how it could be preserved. So that was a sort of theme that, that has haunted me. And of course, migration. There are very strange, powerful spirits in Guyana. And I wondered if the migrants from Guyana brought them with them or if they left them behind. I decided in the end that they probably just stay in Guyana. For me, it's transformative, great writing usually from smallest detail to vast expanse of ideas and somehow marrying the two, as well as illuminating the human condition and you kind of get knocked flat by it when you come across it. We Wait by Rafif Ziada. This morning, this morning stretches into a visa line across Damascus. This morning stretches into a visa line across Damascus and the horizon still unforgiving. We hold open passports and scars. There are legal documents to trace our goodbyes. There are suitcases stuffed with ash. This morning stretches into a visa line across Damascus to Athens and the horizon still unforgiving. We hold open passports and scars. There are legal documents. There are always legal documents to trace our goodbyes. There are suitcases stuffed with ash. Across the gates, they look beyond us. Across the gates, they still look beyond us. And the line, the line wraps neatly around the corner and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. We're not quite right, you see. We're not quite right. The smell of escape is in our bones. Our teeth not shiny enough. We're not quite right. The smell of escape in our bones. Our teeth not shiny enough. And this morning, this morning continues to stretch into visa lines, unforgiving and absolute, into visa lines, unforgiving and absolute, head down in surrender. There are no fig trees or hills to hold us anymore. We run from earth to water to silent skies. There are no fig trees or hills to hold us. We run from earth to water to silent 
skies. But we're not quite right. No matter what we do, we're not quite right. For the soldier who watches gates, the official who inspects, the welfare officer who checks, we're not quite right for the soldier who watches gates, for the official who inspects and inspects and inspects, and the welfare officer who checks and double checks and double checks just how an extra loaf of bread made its way to our table. Just how an extra loaf of bread made its way to our table across the gates. Across the gates, they look beyond us and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. You've been listening to Gabrielle Gadamosi, Michelle Carhill and Rafif Siada with Pauline Melville and Lucy Hanna. Music composed by Dominique Lejean. Speaking Volumes presents and promotes new and underrepresented voices to diverse audiences. The Not Quite Right For Us anthology celebrates 10 years of Speaking Volumes. It's published by Flipped Eye Publishing and it features 40 international writers. The anthology is available at all good bookshops, or you can order from Flipped Eye at www.flippedeye.net. For more information about Speaking Volumes, go to www.speakingvolumes.org.uk. The Not Quite Right For Us podcast is produced by Craig Garrett and Shona Hawkes in collaboration with Speaking Volumes. The actors appearing in Gabrielle Gadamosi's piece, Abolition, were Joe Hughes as Tom the Purser, Danny Nutt as Mr Jones, the Surgeon, Owen Oakeshott as John Knox, the Captain, and Rex Abano as Mr Palmer, the Boson.